We're back. We still don't have a name. We have watched Nightcrawler. It's true. What'd you think? You want to get to that now before the synopsis, huh? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So two different people told us or suggested that we start the podcast with a brief plot summary so that people can follow along. People who haven't seen the movie in a long time. Um, so I'll do a quick one. So Nightcrawler came out in 2014. Jake Gyllenhaal is, plays the main character in it. He plays a psychopath, basically, right? That's the yeah. kind of the defining characteristic of his, the character he plays. Movie starts with him stealing chain link fencing. Yeah, and like from selling some, for materials. Right, so he's in some sort of construction site. A, a security guard comes up to him. He has this, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Lou Bloom, has this strange, polite sort of choir boy affect. And he's kind of chatting up this security guard. And you see him notice a watch on the security guard's wrist. And then it just cuts to him in his car. Well, no, he driving actually with go, he approaches the security he guard. He approaches him, right. And then, he, then he's driving his car and he's got the watch on. And that's how we're introduced to the character. Not sure whether he killed the guy or not. He killed the guy, definitely. All right. There's well, no doubt that he killed the guy. They're, they're implying that he killed the guy. He, he killed the guy, right? He tries to, then he sells the, tries to, he sells his stolen stuff to a construction site, tries to talk his way into a job at the construction site with this bizarrely cheerful, kind of rehearsed way of communicating, almost like he's in a, you know, like he's the, like the, an HR rep trying to teach you how to do an interview. He gets turned down. The guy just kind of, takes a shit on him and says he doesn't hire thieves, right? So you're introduced to this character. You see that he has a problem, right? That he has, he's stealing for money. He doesn't have, he's looking for a job. He's looking for a place to take advantage of society, basically. He's driving home and he sees a car accident with, and there's a cop there. And it looks like a bad car accident. And he kind of pulls over and he's interested in it. And he's just watching. And he sees uh, someone, a guy drives up in a van and starts to film the, the scene, and this, he asks the guy questions, and he finds out this guy is something called a nightcrawler, which is a, someone who films crime scenes and, and uh, mayhem, right? And this bizarre creature that we're introduced to that is clearly kind of human but not really human uh, finds his calling in life. And the next 25, 30 minutes of the movie are him, you know, he he's bad at it. He kind of gets himself into trouble, but based on his just sheer lack of empathy and concern about human suffering, he's able to get some amazing shots that he sells to a news organization. He kind of gets in that way. He is this crazy, bold crime scene filmmaker because he just doesn't give a shit about the people who are suffering. He'll just push his way in anywhere. Um, and he's really good at it. He ends up, Right, so that's kind of the establishing part of the movie. Then he ends up filming, he ends up getting to a crime scene, a home invasion. Well, er wait, so, so first he, so he picks up a guy that's right. who he hires, who basically this guy is desperate for money. He takes advantage of him, hires him for a really low salary, each, or really low <laughs> nightly pay, and uh, you know, acts as though he's this amazing business owner who's going to bring this guy places, and essentially just takes advantage of him, their entire relationship. Um, and then, yep. So the, I guess the, the, the primary conflict of the, of the movie is he catches something on the police scanner that there's a home invasion. He 
happens to be really close. He gets there first. He catches footage of two gunmen leaving a mansion. He goes into the mansion before the police get there and films a the, 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 the crime scene, which is three dead people who shot up. Uh, he takes it, sells it to this news station where he's developed a relationship, and we can get into all of that yeah, later. We'll get into that. Yeah, and then stuff ensues, basically. So yeah, I don't know. Do we want to? Like, we'll talk give about that it. Away? Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it as we go forward. But anyway, we're introduced to a character. He finds he's a, a monster, basically, and it makes him perfectly suited to be a crime scene and and like disaster videographer. Cool. Yeah. Good yeah. enough. I think that's. Okay. Yeah. What'd you like about the movie? Um, okay, so one, I think that this definitely was a well done movie. Like it was not. It was the filmmakers were good at what they were doing. They they evoked the right feelings. Blah blah blah. It was shot well. Um, I like one of the things that is very current right now to me, which I think is reflected in this movie, is that is the portrayal of the media. Obviously, this is a much darker portrayal of media overall, but throughout this whole COVID thing, I felt like every there's constantly news stories breaking about, you know, different things like treatments or people dying or, you know, you name it about COVID and it's like every news source is throwing headlines up left and right, taking like trying to talk about individual cases, like feels a little bit like the, the media is taking advantage of what's going on. Of course they have a you know responsibility to report stuff about COVID, but I think there's it's just we're we're oversaturated in the media with COVID. And it's it's a little like some of it is a little fear mongery, some of it's really reasonable and things that we should be hearing. So in this movie, he sells these really disturbing scenes to this news outlet that's kind of dark and um, you know not doesn't isn't doesn't have the viewer in mind instead has like ratings and intrigue and fear in mind to you know he sells to this to this news station and they broadcast things trying to get um, viewership by by taking advantage one of the crime scenes or the disasters that happen and two fear mongering and making it so that they have to keep tuning in in order to learn about the crooks or the murderers or whatever that, you know, that happened overnight. So I think that that's a really dark portrayal of something that I think is hap does happen in the media, which is like fear mongering. And yeah, so I liked that about it. There's a scene. So he, he strikes up a relationship with the, uh, like the station manager at this, I forget the name, the letter sequence remember, yeah. of a, of a struggling news organization, new channel, in Los Angeles, and they kind of have this symbiotic sort of fucked up relationship that is also sort of parasitic on both ends. And he, um, there's a, he, he, when he comes to her with the footage of this triple murder, her, I guess her director, some, someone who's under her is in the room, and he's kind of consistently been upset about the ethics and morality of the, of the stuff that they've been showing of lose footage. And at one point, they bring in a lawyer for this stuff because it's just so over the top, the footage they have. And she asks the lawyer, he and she ask the lawyer, is it okay for us to show this? And the lawyer says, uh, morally or legally? And she goes, of course legally. Yeah. Right? Like the, the morals are, the morality of it isn't even in the question at this point. So yeah, I think that that is, 
I mean, I guess that's the strongest message of this movie is that. So Lou Bloom from from Lou Bloom is the name he's of the, the guy. he's the main character. He's Jake Gyllenhaal's character from the the very first scene of the movie. You realize that this is this is a monster. He's he's a just some a monster wearing a human suit. Right, and by no means is he a functional member of society. This is a person who, like, literally sees a watch he likes and murders a man over it. Um, but the the very things that make him completely antisocial and fucked up and a monster make him perfectly suited to provide news coverage to the media, right? Like machine, right? And I, that's like a, a pretty cutting commentary on. That, that style of media in general, right? The it bleeds, it leads sort of stuff. But the thing is, it, I, I agree with all of that. And I think the other thing that it's trying to say a little bit underneath the surface of that is the only reason the media exists like that is us, right? right. The media is not, doesn't have make decisions of its own. The decisions it's making are based on what we want to see, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, we, we drive the content because it's what we click on or it's what we watch. And all the... Any, any television or, like, news broadcast is interested in is clicks or watches, so... Yeah. Or any, any, anything in general, yeah. That we just... Every, every facet of our entertainment is driven by whatever we're interested in. Yeah, anything, anything that's market-based, any sort of en- entertainment stuff that's market-based or, or, you know, analytical, is, it's just... We're the ones calling the shots, the people that want to see this stuff. And we're talking about all, this, all of this COVID coverage, right? How many of those articles have you clicked on? I've clicked on a lot yeah. of them, right? Because it, I think it's there's a you know there's impulses that we have or yeah. instincts that we have that that draw us to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a really I don't know. It, it's certainly like a it's a dark look at humanity, but I think it's fairly accurate. That yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty. Yeah, I mean, the thing about like what we're clicking on. I mean, I think, I think the point that I'm making is I know that it it makes sense to serve stories that are, that people are interested in. Um, and I don't fault any, you know, news outlets for doing that. But I think the thing that, the point that I want to emphasize is that there's a response. I feel like there's a responsibility to report the truth. And I think that that's, you can report the truth that people are interested in, but you can't jump the gun. You can't, report something or you shouldn't ethically support or report something that is not the whole truth and that's kind of how I feel with COVID or you made the point recently about Kobe that you can tell if you want but I think that we have that news media or news outlets have a responsibility to actually report the truth when once it's confirmed oh there's certainly yeah so like the the anecdote about Kobe is that I think ABC News reported that all four of his daughters or all three of his daughters were on the helicopter with them, they reported that they were in that crash and all dead, even though it wasn't true. So that's the thing. It's There are very well-established journalistic ethics. My dad is a journalist. He's a very good journalist. He takes it really seriously. I think most of them take it really seriously. But it's also true that the the news organizations that take it less seriously tend to succeed. And it's almost, there's like an arms race of, you know, you have to, report stuff quickly there's a huge premium placed on getting the scoop getting the exclusive having the footage and a lot of the organizations are kind of making these decisions really quickly they're incentivized to do things that are unethical or questionably ethical 
So that's that's the thing. The incentives. I I don't really blame individual reporters for pushing a story out maybe before it's completely done because I kind of do. I mean, but if you if you look at like it's really that the pressure is really coming from their higher ups. Like they're being they're being pressured every single day to get the stories out faster than other news networks. So you can't really blame. I mean, you can blame individuals, but I also feel for them because I I think that they're aware of the fact that some of their morals are being compromised, but they just feel like there's, especially journalism nowadays, is so competitive, and there's very little money in it at this point if it's not, like, TV, that it's hard, It's such a cutthroat world at this point. So, yeah. Well, um, did you like anything else about the movie? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, my, uh, my list, my likes list ended after that. Um, I, w- I will say that I think it was well made I think it was not, I was not bored watching it at all but I would never have watched it had you not made me watch it had this had the, this podcast not come about I would never have agreed to, to watch this movie so that's the end of my likes list <laughs> are you going to ask me what I liked about it? yeah well you go so I was a little concerned this movie somehow 2014 was six years ago um, when I watched it, I, it was like one of my favorite movies I had ever seen. And I was a little concerned. It was one of your favorite movies you'd ever seen. I mean, I, mean, I don't have like a, a ranking, but yes. It, in terms of, yeah, definitely. Hi. I love this movie. And I was a little concerned that I would, it would have depreciated some, but I loved it. I thought it was just, I think it's such a great movie. All right. So what are your top like three things that make you like the movie? Like, why do you like the movie so much? You don't feel happy when you watch it. See, I, you you have this idea that the only movies that are good are ones that make you feel That's happy not, or no. portray happy stuff. I never said the only movies that are good, but the only ones that I enjoy watching. Okay, well, I, we just enjoy different stuff. But you but you don't enjoy the like it's yes, stressful. Yes, I do. I obviously but you enjoy I do. the stress. I don't feel stress from watching a movie because it's fiction. I it's know, not happening but to it's, me. It's evoking it a feeling while you watch it. Yeah, I mean, so there's no reason for us to debate our subjective experiences with the movie. I just because I just feels different when I watch yeah, it. Yeah, but I'm trying to understand what it is that you like. I'll tell. You, how about I just tell you what I liked about the movie? All right, go ahead. Yeah, so I I think that the character of Lou Bloom is incredible. There are many portrayals of psychopaths or sociopaths in movies and TV over the last 25, 30 years. I think that's become something that's almost, it's almost played out to have like a sociopathic murder. One of the things I really like about Lou Bloom is that he is a, he's a monster and he brings about the death of many people, but he's not like a trigger man murderer, right? He does this stuff, I mean, other than maybe the security guard, the security which he, guard, she, yeah. but they don't even show it on screen. The stuff that he does that's, evil is almost within the framework of society to the point where he actually ends up like at the top of his profession at the end of it which i think is the and and there have been a lot of stories in you know discussion about sociopaths succeeding in the corporate world but i think a lot of that has happened in the interceding six years i don't think that's something that was very commonly portrayed back in 2014 when you think about like the the famous sociopaths or psychopaths of movies, it's like Hannibal Lecter, who was a just an outright murderer. He would eat people, but this guy is like a kind of just a different beast. 
I just think the way that they portray him as this completely transactional thing, you know, like he's just a calculator. Like everything for him is a uh, is a negotiation, right? His he negotiates with his assistant, and when his assistant, when he feels like his assistant has violated negotiations, he brings about his death. When which we haven't talked about yet. He's yeah. He negotiates in. He, he, every job he's ever had, he negotiates. Every time he brings in a film, he's, it's this constant negotiation. He sees the world as, like, it's just math for him. He even, the romantic relationship, if you can call it that, the sexual relationship he ends up in, he literally negotiates it into his contract, and he does it so well that she ends up at the end of the movie, like, they're playing this swelling music, and she's so enthralled by the footage he's gotten and the success that he's brought to them both that she's almost in love with him like she's i feel like the the news director character kind of stands in as the public where like we there she's just been kind of repulsed by the disgusting things he's doing but it's so captivating that by the end of that movie like the last scene of that movie when she is she's kind of staring at him while the footage plays in the background and she's just kind of gazing at him enthralled you think she's been disgusted? But I think that they're equally as disgusting as each other in terms of their willingness to go to push the boundary. And ca- he can capture and she can display for, for the public these, like, horrific scenes. Like, well, she's... So I don't think it's even. So she's definitely... There are these... This movie has shades of gray where she is self-interested to the point where she's willing to kind of shirk journalistic ethics and and use this person she's exploitative she's t- she's yeah she's part of an exploitative machine which is the media yeah. machine but he he comes in and earns her trust with his skill and it does such strong research like this inhuman research on her and and understands her vulnerabilities to the point where he can force her into a sexual relationship she has no interest in and basically i mean it and again, think about all of this happened before the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Yeah. That this was like a crazy accurate portrayal of that sort of corporate sexual harassment, sexual assault, up to rape stuff that was that became so prominent in society. And I mean, it was like predictive of it almost. And he does that to her. And I don't know. I mean, I you could probably argue with the portrayal of the way it all played out in the end, but I I just thought that that was, I just think it's an amazing fucking movie. That character <laughs> is so good. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the character is interesting to think about. He's like a good thought experiment, and it's also interesting to think about think about the boundaries that he pushes and how he's able to navigate them. Like he he kind of when he was especially learning how to do his job, when he was learning how to film, how to be a nightcrawler, he would go right up into the scene and then people would push him back and tell him to leave and he would lose the shot and then he would sort of learn how he could be a fly on the wall capturing the shot within the framework of how the, you know, of the police being there and everyone uh, you know being there until he eventually was able to get there before the police and that's when the, the big crux of the story. Yeah. So and you I mean, combine that with his complete and utter disregard for human suffering. Right. And yeah. he's just completely like well, I think the, the scene that I think is maybe the most appalling and instructive and like kind of illuminating about this character is the scene where they get to the car crash first 
and he he ha- there's a man who's who also got to the car crash first who's on the phone with 911 dispatch and he runs up to this guy he's got a camera in his face and he's saying what happened what happened and the guy flips out on him because he's, he's like, literally yeah, trying to tell 911 tr- what, what, what happened, happened. <laughs> and then Lou comes up and realizes he he like sees there's like a body in the road of a dead person like the cars are still smoking. Oh, this is a gross scene. And he finds like a hillside and like the swelling music is playing and he's just like directing a movie in his head and he gets up there and he realizes that it would be better if the body is a little bit over to the left. So he drags the body into the light of the the headlights of the destroyed car and then he like gets his scene and he like does almost a tracking shot down in and he's like his there then it kind of he shows his face and his face is like lit up by the camera and he's just so alive and he's what he's actually doing is like the people human life is just a prop for him right yeah. it's he uses human suffering to get what he thinks are his like it's it's his work his life's work to get these shots of human suffering and then he just uses it to climb and get money and get the prestige and meet the people like higher ups at the network and it's just a really I mean, Lou Bloom is stands in as like the the version of American or of America that is you know like the corporate raider, uh, you know, like profit over human life. Like he's an allegory for American capitalism and American media for sure. And I mean, yeah. but he's also a real character. Yeah, you also see him as a real person. I mean, I think I think all of that is true. Um, and it's definitely, this is a thought-provoking movie. I just think that, in, in terms of enjoyment for me, <laughs> still, still didn't enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Anything I, else that you like? Yeah, can I rattle off a couple other things? Yeah. So I, I just love the way that he studies human behavior. He always, like, references studies about people, and he talks about the different workplace dynamics and the way that you're supposed to behave in the workplace and the way that you're supposed to he's just very rehearsed in practice to his employee too which is yeah to his own employees funny moments right where he's trying to explain to his to his like like kind of meek feeble-minded little assistant like how to negotiate in a contract and stuff and the way to act behave in the workplace or when he or when he ran when he was in the house during the triple the triple murder and then the the assistant like runs up the driveway but doesn't go in the house and on his way out when they're running back to the car to escape the scene as the as the police are coming he said he's like giving the assistant advice like next time you should go into the house show initiative show initiative (laughs) giving him career advice yeah Yeah. (laughs) meanwhile the assistant's just like a normal person and is fucking terrified and like horrified by what happened but anyway so like this is a guy who studies human behavior the way an alien would study human behavior, yeah. you know, like almost from with this academic remove or the way that humans would study the chimpanzee behavior where you kind of, kind of like he sees it through a lens because he is not at his core human in the way that we see humans. Yeah. Um, he experiences, definitely experiences the world differently than, than normal humans do. Yeah. 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 I love the score. I love the way that they, like there is this, incongruency between the the way that the music sounds you know like the swelling beautiful music when he's quote-unquote directing this horrifying uh these horrifying scenes of death and suffering um i mean even the first when when the movie first starts in the opening credits there's a swelling music and then all of a sudden at the very end there's just this discordant last discordant note as the word nightcrawler appears on scene and it's just like very much uh like a 
kind of a tactile sort of sensory experience that you're in the whole time. Yeah. I don't know. I loved everything about it. I thought that I thought his assistant. <laughs> I thought Rick was so funny. Did you? You thought yeah, Rick was. I funny. liked Rick, but Rick was a normal person. I, the yeah. Thing, the thing is, the thing for me that made this movie less enjoyable, or one of the things that made this movie less enjoyable for me, is that I don't enjoy thinking about or engaging with crazy, like almost inhuman people. Like I think that his assistant to me was a much more. Uh, sympathetic character I could I could understand where his assistant was coming from he was a real person he was a little bit dumb but he was a real person or he was more similar to more people and that to me made him more empathetic and I was I enjoyed watching him more I think that um Lou was just frightening and the idea that someone like that could exist because I don't think that he's completely unreal like I think that there people are people like him, like exist him for that sure. exist for yeah. sure it's like a frightening he's he's like a couple of steps away from executives that are you know running our country i don't know just like that to that thought to me is very harrowing and frightening and i don't want i don't like thinking about that i don't want to think about that because it's frightening because they're those people are the powerful people in the world isn't that a truth worth worth facing and trying to reconcile and understand i can face it just in the news i don't need to face it in my entertainment i think it's easier to face this way yeah i mean it's that's definitely true um but i i think the reason I and a lot of other people like to watch movies about people like Lou Bloom is the same reason that we like to watch movies about sharks and but volcanoes. I don't like to watch movies about right, that. but like the, there's a natural human. You kind of think of it or see it as like this inexplicable thing, but it makes a lot of sense that we would want to watch movies about things that can cause us mayhem because it's it's just a way to like if you're looking at it from a purely biological perspective, it's it's a way to expose yourself to frightening dangerous things without being actually in danger you know so like you can be ready for it do i think that watching nightcrawler will prepare me <laughs> yeah, to, no i don't <laughs> but i'm speaking to like the impulse right like the actual reason like deep down in our so you're not like brainstem shocked. yeah it's like there's a reason that people like that there's a reason that there's a, such a huge market for reading about serial killers or hearing podcasts about serial killers it's because there's an impulse in a lot of people's brains to like learn as much as you can and expose yourself to dangerous situations without actually being in danger it's like a roller coaster. It's the same kind of thing. Like that's why it's pleasurable and exciting because you can just get a little taste of it without actually being in danger. Yeah, it's a, it's a more intellectual version of a roller coaster, which I think is what makes it a little bit more. I like roller coasters because it's just a physical sensation, yeah. whereas this is a, an intellectual thing that kind of sticks with you beyond the movie, which I know is good filmmaking. And I can, on an intellectual level, appreciate this movie, but I think whether I would opt to watch it is a different story. Can I have, like, a very college sophomore pot dealer take about this movie? <laughs> I guess. What do you mean? Like, I don't know. Just, like, kind of a faux intellectual. It's maybe an embarrassing take. But, the, right, the whole idea is that, uh, like, the Lou Bloom is a symptom, a necessary symptom of this appetite that people have for mayhem and death, right? This endless interest we have in it is going to incentivize really depraved behavior on the other end. So that's that's kind of like the the mirror that that Nightcrawler is holding up. But then if you think about it, this movie itself is also trafficking in mayhem and pain and disaster and like so it's almost like a meta commentary on itself where like we sit here and watch this and can tell ourselves that 
we're better than the people watching the news media, you know, like watching the terrible stuff in the news, but I'm watching a movie about that stuff, which is also a depiction of human suffering. So it's, I don't know. There's, I think there's a little bit of a meta commentary. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, certainly, it's we, certainly we've built a meta commentary by the things we've talked about during this podcast. <laughs> um, all right. Don't judge me for that. Okay. <laughs> so I think your, in quick summary, I like everything about this movie pretty much. I, yes, I can tell. I, I think I, that I did not love everything about it. Th- I think it's thought provoking. Did not love it. So what did you dislike about the movie? I mean, we basically touched upon it. I, I don't think we need to go into my dislike list because I think I've basically touched on it. I mean, I just don't like, I don't like to fill my time, my entertainment time with darkness because there's so much other dark, especially now, right? We have a pandemic. There's just all kinds of darkness in the world that I can see outside of my entertainment and I feel like my entertainment is an escape from that. So, but that's, some people find their entertainment to be cathartic when it has darkness. And I think that that might be a fundamental difference between you and me when we, in terms of our entertainment. How are you feeling about the, the task of doing this podcast going forward after having watched your first movie? I still feel good about it because I think that one, I'm enjoying the fact that we have something, some things to watch together that we have to just watch each other's things. One, two, I still enjoy the thought experiment after the movie, you know, even if I didn't necessarily, and I didn't, and I, the thing is like the movie, I didn't dislike the experience of watching the movie because this podcast is tasking me to think more deeply about it. Whereas normally it's funny, your uncle Steve says this, but normally when I watch a movie, I kind of decide whether or not I liked it. We maybe have a five minute conversation about it afterwards and then we move on. But I think this is a good way to appreciate movies that, maybe are darker that I wouldn't otherwise appreciate for their intellectual components. I think this was a good choice for a movie, right? Yeah, I think so too. The reason I picked it was because it's an evil guy who is not actively murdering people. Like the death is, the death (laughs) is all, yeah, the death is all indirect. Like he causes so much death and most of it is just through like kind of back channels in a way. It's, it's yeah. sort of a but, but yeah, I, I, that's kind of why I picked it. I'll, yeah, no, you're that, that was it was a good pick. It was a good pick, better than my pick for sure. Do um do you want to know what I disliked about this movie? You dislike something about the movie? I did, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I dislike the fact that I dislike the fact that there was it was like a Dodge Charger commercial the whole way through. Because <laughs> there like was a this, bright red Dodge Charger with all these like just like low shots of this thing like zooming through the city. This was, I, I haven't gone back and looked, but I feel like this movie came from a time where there were a ton of movies that just acted as long-form commercials of specific cars. cars. And I feel like a Dodge Charger was in, like, ten of them. And I know that that's probably an exaggeration in my mind, but I just have so many memories of just, like, why is a Dodge Charger a character in this great movie? I don't understand. Yeah. It's okay. just annoying. I, I know that one of them, there were, like, in the Transformers movies, which I never even really saw... There, it was just a Camaro commercial, like a new Chevy Camaro thing. It was, this was like, it felt like it was really happening a lot back at this time, and it's just kind Plus of. Plus, I'm sure all the Fast and Furious movies, which were yeah. like up and through this. Don't slander the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> but th- that would that hasn't aged super well. It's no, just like they haven't aged well at all. That car is a little present. Yeah. More than it needed to be. Yeah. What do you think the reason is that they picked like a bright red car? I think they got paid to put that car in it, and bright red is like as 
like Lou Bloom does not strike me as the kind of guy who would buy a bright red Dodge Charger to like he's like kind of like a creepy, slimy, slithery monster. Like so you think it's just because they were paid to put that in? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah, okay. I do. I mean he, Lou Bloom is a he's a creature that works in the shadows. Like the way that he the way that he achieved everything he did here was by like slipping in the back door, like literally sometimes slipping in an open door and kind of skulking around in the shadows. Like he is not someone that would buy a bright red car to do his work in. That's probably true. Though he and the good thing is that more true to his character, the vans that he gets at the end are not bright red. Right, yeah. Or just dodges. Vans. Yeah. <laughs> was, that that took me out of it just a tiny bit. I yeah. don't care much. Um I don't know. I like much everything else. This movie's fucking great. All right, what are our next movies? Well, no, no, no. You gotta, you've got to <laughs> oh, yeah, guess. You, you have to guess the Rotten Tomatoes. I have a, probably a, a closer sense of what it is because I've, I know I've looked at it in the past. I haven't looked at it in a I while. I mean, if you think it's one of the best movies, my guess is it's in the 90s and some, somewhere in the 90s. I'm going to guess like 92. 92. I think it might be like an 88. Okay, look it up. I'm going to guess that. And while you look that up, do we want to do we want to pull up our our list for the next possible movie suggestions? Hang on. All right. 95. Oh, I win. Yes. Why did I think 88? What are you you're sounding like you looked it up at one point. I mean, I definitely have looked it up before in my life. Oh, so so you should good, good you got it wrong then. I don't know. Um, okay. So I have a long list of movies that I've considered. And I'm going to read some names out. And I want to know if you've seen them. Okay? Because I'm, I'm a little nervous, though, because I don't want to show my... I'll just read one. Okay. No, just read them out. Have you seen Gattaca? Yes. Okay. Have you seen Kramer versus Kramer? I saw it with you, I believe. We watched it? I think What's you had it? it on. What's it about? Who's the in guy it? from Seinfeld twice? No, I'm no. kidding. Um, I is it? Who's in it? I don't remember. A famous actress is in it. I just don't remember. I feel like I've seen it, but do you don't remember anything about it? Is there like a is there like a psychologist involved? Um, no, I don't think so. It's I don't remember. read some more of them. Okay. Um. About a boy. I don't. Man, these titles are just <laughs> so nondescript. It's Meryl Streep's in it. Um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman's in it. I'm not sure if I've seen that before. Okay. So we I think I may have seen it with you. I think you may have played it with your dad. I saw that movie. I've only seen the movie once, and I saw it, I'm pretty sure, by myself. Randomly, I discovered it on Netflix like six or seven years ago. It's from the 70s. Okay, so I don't know. Okay, so, so it's either that or About a Boy. Have you seen About a Boy with Hugh Grant in it? Okay. I'm going to say About a Boy is next. Okay. All right. Do you want to say yours or do you want to put yours on the next podcast? Um, I'll put it on the next one. All right. All right, so we'll see you for the next one.